Romans chapter 6 tonight. And uh, did the first part of it last week. And pick up, well, that's first man, verse, uh, verse 12. I remember Paul writing to the church at Rome. He's never been there. And uh, he's trying to get over that way. And he's dealing a lot early on with sin. The focus of Romans is that we are made right by God, declared right by God, justified by our faith. Uh, and it is, it is the declaration that God gives us of being declared right is based on his grace. And we respond to God's grace with his faith he gives us. I mean, Paul has talked a lot about sin, sin of the Gentiles, sin of the Jews, Started last week with the idea of people saying, well, if, if, you know, if by our sin God forgives us, God's grace is shown, we ought to sin more. Paul, we call that antinomianism. In other words, we don't need to obey the law. We can live morally free lives. No moral restraints, no moral absolutes. We can do whatever we want. We see that today. And so verse 12, Paul says, therefore, on account of what we said, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its less. In other words, sin is not to be in control of your life. It's not to be the king. It's not to have the primary place. Listen, either you give your, and he's going to say it in a few minutes, either you give your life over to sin or you're giving your life over to Christ. And so don't let sin reign. And don't give over your, your mortal bodies over to the lust. And lust is, just, is the word for desires. And, and basically, sin is something that, that consumes things by what it craves. And so and I'm not just talking about you know, physical or sexual sin. But we're just, sin is a craving, is a desire to have our own way. To uh, be the God of our own lives. To be in control of our lives. Um, and, and so there was that natural tendency, that natural desire to let, let that overtake you. I, I have to fight certain types of things in my life. But if I fight pride, it's easy for me to let my pride take over. It's a consuming desire that I satisfy my ego. And so we, we, all, we have things in our life we battle. And, and so Paul says, you've got to restrain from that. You can't say, I'm going to go on sinning so that somehow God will be glorified and forgive us. Because you know, if you sin, sin is reigning in your lives. And do not go on, verse 13 says, presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. In other words, don't give your body over as tools for what is unrighteous or what is sinful, but present yourselves to God as those who are, notice this, alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So in other words, don't let your bodies be used as instruments or tools for what is unrighteous, but for righteous. Because you have been made alive, you've been brought back to life, don't live as if you're dead in sin. Later on in Romans, we will talk about the fact that we are dead in our sins. And one of the themes that we forget and we overlook, um, I think, too often in Scripture, is that we, in the eyes of God, outside of Christ, spiritually are dead. I mean, we're dead spiritually. And, and, and so much of what Christ talks about, you know, resurrection and the life, uh, Jesus talks about, uh, you know, those who, who believe will not die, you know, those who believe in me will never die. He's talking about spiritual death. Those who, you know, who, who, all, who are uh, not believers are already, spiritual, already dead, they're spiritually dead. There's a sense of being spiritually dead. And, and we were given over to that death, and God has redeemed us back from that death. And so... If you live as tools or instruments or objects for that which is unrighteous, then you're living back into the spiritually dead zone. 
But when you've been alive in Christ, then your, your life, your, your body, who you are, it's everything, your mind, your, your language, your, your, your personality, your, your, everything about you is to be given over to righteousness. And so he says this, For sin shall not be master over you. Notice what he says, you're not under law, but under grace. Now here's the thing. If you give your life to sin, thinking that by God forgiving you, it demonstrates his grace even more, you're not living under grace. You are living under the law. Even though you've given up the law, you're living under sin. The person who lives by grace doesn't live a life of sin in some sort of twisted, convoluted idea that my sin will bring about the grace of God more. Here's the thing. People who live faithful lives demonstrate the grace of God. People who live sinful lives do not. Important. God has saved me by his grace. And I live in obedience to God. I am serving God. I am living out the evidence of grace. But to have the concept that because God's grace forgives me, then I can sin and his grace is seen even more, is to say that I don't live under grace. That I, don't, I have not experienced that grace because I'm living under the pressure of sin. And so it's the exact opposite. And here's the thing. It becomes a twisted, convoluted, messed up idea of who God is. I say this all the time. And my staff has told me to say this a bunch. I don't take spiritual advice from unspiritual people. I just don't. Now, I may take financial advice because you may be good in finances. You can you know, fix my car and be as lost as you want. I just want you to fix my car. I don't care if my doctor is Christian. I, don't need, I got plenty of people praying over me. I just want my doctor to be really good. If you're cutting me open, I want you to do a good job. So I'll, you know, I, I, my doctor is you know, Christian. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with that. I want the best. But when it comes to my spiritual life, when it comes to teaching, when it comes to being taught, being led, the people who influence me spiritually are all spiritual people. And I, as a pastor, I get advice all the time from people. Some of it's good. Some of it just won't work. Some of it is from people who aren't spiritual. And I don't care how good it sounds. I don't take spiritual advice from unspiritual people. You shouldn't either. You know why? Because I want people who live not as slaves to sin. I want people who live with the Christ reigning in their lives. Verse 15 says this. What then? He's restating what he said in verse 1. Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. I, I can't tell you, you know, in how emphatic may it never be is in the grace. I just can't. It's just one of those, absolutely not, ain't no way, ain't going to do it. And, you know, if, if, if yeah, Paul is, it, it is just the most direct, absolute negation you can find. I mean, it is is unbelievably an intense note. Verse 16, he just says, Don't you know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Now, Paul's going to talk about 
being a servant, a doulos, a slave to something. All of us, according to Scripture, are either slaves to God or we're slaves to sin. We've given. You go all the way back to Adam and Eve. I've said this a thousand times. The basic sin of all of life is to be the God of your own life. That was the temptation that Adam and Eve dealt with. When you become the God of your own life, you enslave yourself. You give yourself over to serving sin. You're a servant of sin. Now, Jesus has said, you can't serve two masters. You will love the one and despise the other. Can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in anything else. And so what, what Paul is saying, he's going to use this illustration. Now, you've got to understand, in the day of the Romans, and in Rome, probably half the people in Rome were in servitude or, or some type of slavery. Some from war. Uh, some were bought or sold. But a lot of people gave themselves over. In other words, if you were so poor back then, and you had no opportunities, no jobs, people would just, they would just give themselves over. And, and, and Scripture even talks about people giving themselves over because at least they would have a life. It, we, no, we can't comprehend that. I got, our culture, we can't even imagine that because, because we are so far removed from that idea, so far from, uh, removed from the idea of, of people being forced into servitude, though it happens all over the world. It's hard for us to grasp that. But what Paul is basically saying, in a, in a world where they would understand is that you offer yourself as a servant. You offer yourself in servitude to either God or sin. Those are your choices. You're giving yourself over. And whoever is your master, so you obey. And so if you're given over to sin, you obey sin. If you're given over to a God, you obey God. You can't be given over to a God and obey sin. It doesn't work. You can't say, I'm giving my life over to God, I'm giving my life to Jesus, but I'm going to obey sin. It's an inconsistency that cannot function in a Christian life. So verse 17 says this, Be thanks be to God, that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. In other words, Paul says this. You were slaves of sin, but you become followers of Christ. And when that happens, you became obedient from the heart to that which he says you were committed. Now, the heart is, is and, I, and I mention this quite often because we forget, the heart is not the place of emotion in Scripture, in that culture. The place of emotion was the stomach. Uh, and if you think about it, your emotions oftentimes affect your stomach. So uh, if you were dating someone and you wanted to get married, you would not say, I love you with all my heart. You would say, I love you with all my stomach. You know? <laughs> Honey, I love you with all the gut that I have. So fix me dinner. You know? uh, fill my gut. But the heart was the place of the will. It was the place of the decision. It was the place of volition, of commitment. It's, it's the heart. It's, a, it's really it's a combination of our mind and our emotion. That it ends up in a place of decision making. And so when we talk about giving our heart to Christ from a biblical perspective, we're giving the, the decision, we're making a decision to follow Jesus. Giving our life to him. So here's what he says. You're, you're going to be obedient from the heart, from the place of your decision. You're going to decide who you obey. 
And if you are a follower of Christ, you have been freed from sin. If you're freed from sin, then you are a servant or a slave of righteousness. And that's the place to be. We're either going to serve Christ or we're going to serve sin. Serve Christ. There's great freedom with Christ. And here's what happens. When I give my life to Christ, it is not burdensome. I begin to want to do the things that Christ would want me to do. So we, we have this idea that if I'm going to follow Jesus, oh, I'm going to hate life. <clears throat> I'm not going to want, I mean, I'm going to have no fun. I'm not going to enjoy I'm, all these things I do now that I enjoy. The things that you think you enjoy that ruin your life, you know, you think that's, I'm not going to have to give all those up. Well, you're not giving something up. You're gaining something better. Something is replacing and so when you replace it, or Christ replaces it, I should say, <clears throat> there is great freedom in being in Christ. See, there really is no freedom in, in being slaves to sin because you are bound by your lust. You oftentimes can't control, I mean, you can control in the sense that you can say yes or no, but you are just so consumed, you give yourself over. But when you are in Christ, you are given over to the things that he wants you to do, the love and the compassion, the forgiveness you, you live a life that says, I have unlimited opportunities to bring honor to God. When you are serving Christ and you are a slave to Jesus, what you really are is you have become a servant of unlimited freedom in Christ. And that freedom doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. It means you can do whatever it is the Holy Spirit leads you to do. You can forgive people. You can love people. You know, it, it, you ever think about Christians should have, I, I don't have any enemies. I don't. Now, people may look at me as their enemy. I don't really care. I don't think of anybody as my enemy. I don't think of any, there are people I don't like. Sure. That's just because some people are just, uh, I don't want to be with them. And, and, and I, you know, there's, there's some people I'd rather not hang with. There's a lot of people I'd rather not hang with. But, that's, but I have this great freedom. If you get upset with me, I'm sorry. And, and, and if I did something wrong, maybe I can make it better. But at the end of the day, I don't care. I'm free. I am free because I didn't do anything. I'm not bound by your, your being angry with me. Because you know, if, if, if I've wronged you and asked for forgiveness, if you don't forgive me, oh well. I'm going to move on. The, 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 the things that I struggle with, you know, maybe it's pride or whatever. When I give in to them, they're problematic. But when I turn them over to the Lord, I am free from all those things. I don't worry about that. You see, when I come to Christ, the things that used to bother me don't bother me. And all of a sudden, there's just this freedom. And that's where we live. Being a servant to Christ is being free from sin. That's a fantastic place to live. Verse 19 says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your life for your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting, as he says, in sanctification. So when you give your life over to the life, that's freedom that's in Christ, you're giving your life over to a life of sanctification. Sanctification is a religious term that has to do with being 
cleansed or in, or in a cleansing of righteousness. Now, here's two different things. Justification means to be declared in a right state by God. It is the condition that we have. Sanctification usually is the moral purity or the way our life is being lived. It's the righteousness that comes from how we live our life. It's not the condition of being declared right by God. It's the state of living a life that is righteous or sanctified. And it's sanctified. You know, I don't usually use the word sanctification a lot anymore because it's you know a lot of churchy terms you try not to use. But it is an important doctrinal theological thing. We are being sanctified. It, it comes from the idea of holiness, the idea of being made pure, the idea of living without sin. Justification is being declared to not be held guilty of sin. Sanctification is not living in sin. Justification is our condition. Sanctification is how we live. Justification is a legal term. I am declared right by God forever. But even though I'm declared right by God forever, I still sin. Sanctification is the process of not doing the sinning. So there's a separation. So I am forever justified. But I am always in a process of being sanctified. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, you can ask me questions about it later. So here's the thing. If you present your bodies as instruments of sin, you're losing out on sanctification. The justified person should be living a sanctified life. The person who is declared righteous should be living righteously. Now verse 20 says this, When you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. In other words, when you were slaves of sin, you were free from having to be righteous. Being righteous was not an expectation. I've said many times, don't expect lost people to live like saved people. We do that, don't we? We expect people who are lost to live like they're saved. Saved people struggle to live like saved people. Why do we expect lost people? I expect lost people to live like lost people. Now, you know, it'd be nice if they would be courteous and cordial and, and not do certain things. Sometimes it's simply a matter of preservation or, you know, it's just a smart thing to do, kind of Machiavellian. You know, it's you do what's right because it's in your own best interest. But at the end of the day, if a person's lost, I expect them to act like they're lost. I'm not surprised when they do that. So I expect lost people to live like lost people. So they're freed from living a righteous life. Okay. Verse 21 says this. Therefore, in light of all that, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. So when you lived as a slave to sin, what was the benefit? Because you were dead. Spiritually, you were dead. That's the outcome. What was the benefit? You had pleasure. You had some money. Those are all short-term earthly things that will probably be taken from you in this life anyways. But from an eternal perspective, they have no benefit. Too many people live short-sighted lives, thinking only of the immediate and not of the ramifications of what happens. What advantage, what's the benefit of living that type of sinful life? At the end of the day, there is none. So that... Verse 22 says, Now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, 
you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification in the outcome eternal life. So when you are a servant of the Lord, you are sanctified. You've been justified. We've already seen that. You live a life that is sanctified. And the end result of all that is eternal life. This Sunday I'm preaching from John 3.16. I'll talk about eternal life. It is the quality of life that is everlasting. It begins at the moment of salvation. The moment you are justified, you have entered into eternal life. Sanctification is the process of getting up to when that point comes of termination of this life to the next life. It is the being made clean. So to be freed from sin is to have eternal life. To live in sin is to be spiritually dead. To be free from sin is to have life. And we probably don't, and I probably am guilty of not doing a really good job of presenting those kind of alternatives. To be freed from sin is to have eternal life. But to be a slave to sin is to have eternal death. So that, verse 23 says this. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pretty famous verse from Romans, as part of the Roman road. Interesting thing, to be a slave to sin uh, is means that the wages of that enslavement is death. Now, we think of slaves as not receiving wages, but remember... People sold them or gave themselves over to servitude and slavery to be taken care of. So what would happen is they would get something in return. There was a wage. Uh, it could be a place to live. It could be food. It could be money. It could be some money. But when they, when they sold themselves or gave themselves into servitude to bondage to slavery, there was expectation of something to happen. So whatever they, their, their slavery to sin came with a wage that was earned, whatever it is. The wages of sin is death. The ultimate wage is death. Ultimately, what you get out of sin is eternal death. That's the ultimate payoff. But the gift of God, the free gift, the charis of God, is eternal life in Jesus Christ the Lord. So let's think about that. When we become, when we are a slave to sin, we receive something that is due us. We are owed death. It's what is due. But when we become slave to God, there is nothing we're owed. We're not owed anything. But there's something that we're given. What we're given and not owed is eternal life. It is God's gift. It is freely of grace given. But that gift of life is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so it, it, is, it is, you know, we, are gift that, we give the gift of grace, eternal life, is in the realm of, in the sphere of, it comes from Jesus. And he is called Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul is very good about this formal title because it speaks of the completeness. Jesus, who, the person who is the Christ, the Messiah, as Lord, as God. So you have the humanity in Jesus, the deity is Lord, and the messianic aspect of Christ. So, Eternal life, then, is always wrapped up in Jesus. So we live in this world, and we, I deal with this all the time, where people think there are a lot of different ways to get to God. And even within Christianity now, I hear that more and more groups saying, you know, you know we're, we're arrogant and we're presumptuous to think that other religions can't come to God, which I always want to say to a Christian, do you not even understand the fundamental tenets of your faith? 
the most basic thing of the Christian faith, the single most basic thing in the Christian faith, is that it's only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved. So you can't be Christian and believe there are other ways to God. It is not possible. You are not a Christian. You are a fraud. Now, in a world we live in, that's a tough message today. But we can't shy away from that message because it is a liberating, freeing message. If we don't, pray, if we don't preach that message, if we don't teach that message, if we don't tell people that the only way you can be saved is through Jesus Christ, we are letting them drift on into hell. Because that's the payment too. Now, it's not our job to save them. I understand that. God deals with all of that stuff. But God uses us to deliver his message. Later on, Paul will talk about how beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news. We are the way that God has ordained and predestined people to come to faith by the preaching and teaching. They come through Jesus, I get that. But we are the instruments, we are the vehicles of sharing. And so we've got to understand that if we truly believe Romans 6.23 to be true, then our passion as followers of Christ will be to help people come in contact with Jesus. I say it all the time. Get people to Jesus as fast as you can because only Jesus can save them. It means then that the passion of the church has to be twofold, to honor God and to help people come to Jesus. Our passion has to be to help people come to Jesus. Why? Because they are dead in their sin. And only through Jesus can they experience eternal life, by the grace of God. And I have found it is a tiny, minuscule, almost immeasurable number of people who will ever, on their own, find Jesus through just some happenstance. Everyone that I have ever heard their story from, who was a follower of Christ, had someone help them hear about Jesus. Parent, preacher, teacher, a wanna, wherever. There is always a person involved. In so when we do baptismal videos, we always ask, yeah, anybody you want to thank? And there's always somebody in their life that helped them. One of the fundamental mistakes that churches make that struggle is they neglect to make sure that their priority and their passion is to help people come in contact with Jesus Christ the Lord. And if for one split second you think there's any other way to come to God, you are going to neglect the only message that can save them from eternal death. So we have got to take this very seriously. People need Jesus. And we need to make that a passion of our church's life. Help people come to Jesus. I say this all the time. As a follower of Christ, I'm good to go. It's not about me. I've got to make it about them, them who are lost. How many times have you heard people say, not at our church, because I don't think this happens here. Well, it better not, because if I find out if it does, man, this is going to be, ugh. We don't want them coming to our church. We're not trying to attract them. Let me tell you, the people we need to get to our church are the them, because the them need Jesus. Hopefully, most of us are already followers of Christ. Because I'm a father of Christ, I am free from sin. And I need to help people find that freedom in Jesus. It needs to be the passion of our church. 
It needs to be your passion as well. All right. Comments or questions? Have a few moments. Anybody? Yes. I have a question regarding the terms um, servant and slave. Because I've always thought that servant meant free will and slave meant no choice. Uh, the word doulos is a word that means slave and it means to be in servitude. Some of biblical speaking, to be a servant or a slave. Sometimes, like I said, a person can give themselves over to uh, slavery, which was a choice that they made, per se. Uh, to be a servant, um, it, it, I don't know that in the New Testament there's a huge distinction made culturally. Uh, we make that distinction quite a bit. Um, but in, in, in the idea of the Bible, um, I use those terms interchangeably a lot because basically they didn't have servants like, like, like if, I was, if I won the lotto last night, uh, I didn't because I don't play it. Uh, but if I'd have won it, I'd have probably get to a position where I would hire servants and I would pay them wage. Uh, that's our idea of a servant. A maid, a butler, a chauffeur, a uh, chauffeur, a gardener, pool guy, cook, uh, minister of music. Those kind of guys. <laughs> That's a little joke up there to the, the music guys. Right now. But in scripture, that really wasn't. If they were a servant, I miss what I miss. Oh, they turned the mic off. It's great to see former employees have a sense of humor. I love that. It's great. It's good that you can joke when you're looking for a place. Uh, we need to change, uh, Jim, we need to change the budget line on salaries before we present it Sunday. I'm going to adjust that down a couple of places. No, I mean, it, it, but, but that is the idea of, in our culture. But in that culture, they didn't, people weren't paid servants, per se. They were slave servants, it's a similarity. In my upbringing or in my... I've always been taught that we, we are free, like the Lord loves us and he wants us to come to him as, yeah. like it's, because it's our, he wants us to love him, yeah. not to be, I, I, I got what you're saying, I understand, and we serve the Lord, once we become a follower of Christ, we talk about service, we talk about all the time. Worship an hour, serve an hour. The word deacon, the word minister come from the word to serve. And that's a different connotation, to serve. The, the, the position of slave or servant is, is really the same thing. Remember, we don't come to God of our own freedom because we are dead to our sin. And, and I am a slave to sin. I'm never coming to God because of my sin. I can only come to God because of the grace of God that brings me to him. God calls me. God draws me. God brings me. I, I don't come to God of my own freedom. That, that concept is not a biblical concept. I, I, in my freedom, I move away from God. Until God saves me, then I live as a free person serving God. And, and so sometimes we use English terms, and, and we see the term that comes from the Greek, and we translate it to English, and we take our English concept, like love, and we, and we sometimes blend them. But the biblical concept is, I am a slave to sin until God saves me in Christ. And then I serve the Lord. I'm a slave of the Lord. So we'll talk about serving. And in that 
context, we are more talking culturally. I'm going to serve. So I want someone, someone, we need more people to serve on Awana. We need a lot more people to serve on the welcome group. We need people to serve, you know, parking. We need people to serve. That's, that's a different understanding. That is for the person who now is a follower of Jesus to then make a decision of where they're going to serve. I hope that helps. Yes. Um, I have no idea. Uh, any, that's maybe speculation. Uh, to my knowledge, she wasn't. I hadn't heard about sanctification. I hadn't heard the word sanctification in a long time. And the way you mentioned it, is there a quantitative value to that that God is going to want us to have before He allows us into the? Yeah, is there a quantitative value to sanctification? And I would say no. I don't think any spiritual condition, justification, sanctification, uh, you know, those things, grace, faith, there is no quantitative value. The Eastern mind did not have a quantitative view of things. There's a quality of it. So, so to be filled, you know, you know, to be filled with grace doesn't mean I'm not have all the grace I'm going to have. It means I'm just not using it. So I would say there is no quantitative value to being sanctified it is a quality value if i'm not living that way that's about a quality um westerners we think in terms of quantity measurement uh eastern in that day and age that was not the more primary way that they thought you probably have 100 percent sanctification <laughs> you think i have 100 percent sanctification set aside yeah. <laughs> No, you guys just be quiet back there about that. Let him, let him live that delusional life. No, yeah, trust me, I don't have anywhere near 100% sanctification. 90, maybe, but not near 100. <laughs> Another question? The, uh, it's, it, you either for me or against me, there's no in between. Yes. It's an absolute value. Absolutely. You're either in or you're out. Remember what I said. When it comes to God, there's no gray area. Gray is the color of sin. Now, I realize in relationships, there may be some gray things. I got that. I got that. But when it comes to God, there is no gray. It's black and white. God, gray is the color of sin. I even mentioned that in a sermon one time. Anything else? Yes. Yep. Uh, people that are in Christ still sin all the time. So they're still sinning. Probably as much or less or more or whatever than the ones who are not in Christ. So, what's the difference there? Well, people in Christ shouldn't sin a lot. We sin. Uh, when we face sin, we have a strength to keep us from sinning. So, I, I don't know if we sin a lot. We sin, and unfortunately, some do sin a lot. We may question it. But there is living in sin and committing sin. And a lot of times in Scripture, you see that. Living in sin is to be given over to their lifestyle. Now, sometimes Christians give themselves over and eventually have to repent and come out of it, and they're torn emotionally and all that. There's a difference between the fact that I may sin and that I may live in sin. You know, sin is a very serious thing. Sometimes I'm a little flippant about it. For the most part, I don't. (laughs) I don't sin like lost people sin. You know, I don't. I'm not give, that's not my lifestyle. So I don't, I don't, I, I'm never comfortable, again, putting a quantitative amount on it. I committed 12 sins today. The lost person only committed 11. But there, you know, so I mean, but I understand what you're saying. I agree to the point. People without Christ live in the condition of sin. So it's always prevalent. 
It is their lifestyle. Whereas they're, they're, they live in rebellion against God. They are at all times, at all moments, sinful. Because at all times and at all moments, they have rejected Jesus and are living as rebels against God. I live as a follower of Christ. So I may commit an act of sin, but I'm not living in a life of sin. So it's a completely different place to be. Anything else? More questions? Joe, you have a question? Yeah. Night. Yeah. And uh, they like coffee. Yeah. But they don't they don't want to drink caffeinated coffee. Yeah. But the cafe is open. Yeah. Is there any kind of option for yeah. that? Yeah, if you want to go to the cafe and get a lot, you can get decaf coffee. Okay. And and that is a choice of freedom, by the way. And uh, and you still pay full price for that coffee. That is a wage attached there's no grace. Thank you. We're through. See y'all later. That was a setup, by the way. <laughs>